Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 23, which begins with Thor finally getting a good fight and ends with Loki making a startling discovery. And joining us once again, as uh, will be happening all this week, is Cass Fredrickson from the Lord of the Rings Minute Podcast, as well as a number of other great properties. And Cass, let me just ask you, was Aragorn ever quite as arrogant and ridiculous as Thor? I don't think he ever quite got to this level, right? No. <laughs> Never. Mm-hmm. Not even movie Aragorn, who has, like, not as much self-awareness of, like, his his uh, kingliness and his his duty or whatever as book Aragorn. Like... No, I, uh, there, there are two different kinds of, of, of yeah. protagonists, very much so. <laughs> Aragorn to me is much more sort of brooding and self-reflective and self-doubting, whereas uh, self-doubt yes. is not a part of yes. Thor's world. And we will uh, talk more about that in just one moment. This is a fantastically fun show to be a part of to produce and we love digging into all of these movies from the marvel cinematic universe in great depth it's not free to produce though and so it would really help us out if you could sign up to become a member membership is just five dollars per month or you get a discount if you join at the annual rate if you become a member, you get bonus content, early access to shows, access to live streams, stickers, and more. Learn more at truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute. So Thor now is finally getting the fight he wants. You know, he gets hit and he laughs about it. And then he gets knocked halfway across the battle. And he says, you know, that's more like it. What do you all take from this? I mean, to me, this is like, it, it feels like for Thor, this is all a game. You know, he ha- he's not thinking about the fact that there could be very real consequences, that he, that he is killing people right and left. This is just like he's finally getting a fun fight. That's the weird thing about this is like he's he's having so much glee and joy from just actually getting into a fight. And yeah, I, I mean, when you, when he's hitting these frost giants with Mjolnir, my sense is that he's killing them. I mean, we're going to see later in this minute he when he throws Mjolnir at one, it literally looks like the frost giants head explodes. Like mm-hmm. I, I I think that there is death mm-hmm. happening on this field, and uh, I I feel like he doesn't quite take that whole idea of battle seriously. And uh, so lots of lessons to be learned still for young Thor. Honestly, if we're now I'm thinking about Lord of the Rings, because when I'm, you know, (laughs) when am I not thinking about Lord of the Rings? Um, But as far as like Thor's attitude towards battle, it's more in line with Eowyn almost like he has this, um, Mm. this very specific idea of what, battle means to him and like doesn't really think about like the anything else besides that like so i think very much to him it is it is like a game like it's enjoyable for him um and i think it was like last week where he talks about like you know who led you into like these glorious battles or whatever so like i think to him it is about like the glory and the like being in the thick of it and not really having any awareness about 
the greater consequences surrounding it. I mean, I definitely get a sense of this kind of, I think I've referenced before the the high school quarterback who all of a sudden is at the college level and everyone is as good as mm. him. Like, mm-hmm. we know that he's fought in battles before, but I get the sense they were always kind of ones that his father approved, you know, and so he was maybe kind of always sent into battles that everyone knew he was going to win. And, and you know, he likes a good fight, but he's learned that, like, nothing bad is going to actually happen during a fight. It's always also from the point of view of the victors, right? And I think that's that's largely what the Asgardians have been. I mean, they're ruling the Nine Realms. And yes, Odin might send him and the Warriors Three and Lady Sif off to, to do these various battles in Vanaheim or wherever they happen to be. And yeah, they come across kind of laughing it off like, oh, those were crazy times. And we hear them talking about this over the course of these various films. But again, it's the point of view of the victors. It's like they made it through unscathed. Mm-hmm. They're fine. They're not paying attention to the fact that they left behind all these, uh, you know, corpses. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, certainly to him, I mean, I think he might feel very differently fighting against others. But if you want to talk about dehumanization, I mean, de- as guardification, I guess, like to him, I think it's very clear the Frost Giants aren't people. Yeah. You know, he he was saying earlier to his father, like, they're savages. They're, you know, we can't trust them. Like, I think all the kind of like, you know, warfare propaganda is often about convincing soldiers that the people they're killing aren't real people. So it's okay to kill them. Mm-hmm. And I think he's definitely, maybe this is about all of his enemies, but certainly with the Frost Giants and all the stories he's heard, that's definitely where yeah. he's coming from. Well, and that, and that happens right mm-hmm. here. Like I said, I mean, he throws, after that, that's more like it, he throws Mjolnir at Hailstrom's face. And I mean, it's it's hard to tell. Maybe it's the helmet, uh, Hailstrom's helmet uh, that shatters into pieces, but a lot of stuff kind of explodes off of the side of Mjolnir as it goes flying past him and Hailstrom's body falls. It it entirely is possible that it's his head. And I I think even as an audience, we're just like, yeah, because it looks cool, right? I mean, we're seeing right. Thor in action, and that's what we came to the movie to see. Um, but yeah, it's in, in context of uh, killing people that were just kind of hanging around not doing anything, minding their own business before he showed up. I know. I feel kind of bad for this guy who gets his head imploded (laughs) because like we (laughs) I don't know. Like I know we're supposed to be rooting for Thor, but also like it's so brutal. Yeah, it really is. So, (laughs) And and this is a movie making technique that I I think the Marvel movies do across the board and a lot of action movies do for sure. And you especially notice this if you watch this compared to like the Marvel Netflix series, which have much more. They're not it's not an R rating, but are much more clearly adult shows. You know, Captain America, Thor, all of them, they kill hundreds of people. But there's never blood. There's never gore. You know, it's not the boys by any means. And mm-hmm. I feel like here they've kind of like I think there's many reasons why they picked to fight the Frost Giants. But the Frost Giants are kind of perfect for that because, you know, when you kill one, they explode into shards of ice. You know, there's no body parts. There's no there's no um blood. There's you know, we've seen an arm frozen somewhere. But like it's just, it, you know, from a movie making standpoint, if you want to make a family friendly movie about slaughter. Frost giants are great for that because you can show their bodies literally explode. I mean, think about like, you know, the scenes are like where the te- uh, five minutes ago we saw the destroyer melt people and their bodies just explode. Yeah. If that was anything but ice, it would be horrific to watch. Yeah. And I, I, mm-hmm. I think that's more specific to the destroyer than here. Like we're not seeing these ones explode into ice or anything like that. I think that was just the right. the way that the destroyer was just being so destructive because it's such a massive thing. But yeah, we, but we're definitely, we see we see limbs get we, cut yes, off. We, we see do, like yeah. terrible things happen to people's bodies that would be, I there's, think, pretty bloody. 
under there other are a lot of stabbings, a lot of uh, limbs getting severed. I mean, there is a lot of that. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. It's but it's dark. Maybe that's another reason they said let's keep it dark, so it's it's harder to see all the gore that is potentially here. Um, and it's like you pointed out, it's frost giants. It's it's a safe villain that we can show them slaughtering without having to worry about you know frost giant blood squirting out everywhere or whatever. You know, right. Yeah. And of course, here now we get to see the, uh, you know, what can that hammer do? Uh, we definitely get to see that. We get to see it kind of like. Well, and we see, and we see that it returns, right? This is the first time we see it. It's, it's a hammerang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's definitely kind of like, you know, we're, because rev- we're going to reveal another, we reveal like two more tricks that the hammer can do in the course of this battle. And this is, I think, the first big one. Like, it's a hammerang. It, it, he can throw it and it goes back to his hand. Mm-hmm. What a handy, what a handy tool to have. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, I think it's kind of fun. We, we talked before about how he holds it up near the head, but he when he fights with it, he holds it much lower down. Mm-hmm. And, and if it, I think this is somewhat intentional. That first pose where he catches the hammer for the first time is almost an exact match to when Captain America catches the hammer in Endgame. Um, and I just, I never really thought about it until I saw it again today. And I was like, I think, I mean, someone may now do a frame by frame analysis and show me I'm completely wrong. But from my memory, like my memory of Endgame from maybe a couple months ago, last time I saw it, it looks very, very similar to me. Well, it's also, I think, become such an iconic thing that we get to see in the films of seeing Thor catching the hammer coming back to him. It's just, I mean, I still find it exhilarating just to see the way that it kind of comes naturally into his fist and he just kind of the the weight of it coming he kind of catches it and pulls it in uh it's mm-hmm. just exciting so yeah I, it's it's almost as iconic as watching like one of those moments of iron man when he lands and in, right. in his in his uh warrior pose so and so now we see the fight continuing and thor's still doing great but everyone else is starting to have trouble you know uh stiff gets knocked down but hogan's able to save her um we see we see how Loki fights and illusion. We'll get to that in a second. Let's just talk about that. Like, what are you getting out of this fight? As it it seems like it's definitely our everyone else is having a lot more trouble than Thor is. I think like um I think that contributes to Thor's uh arrogance and his kind of like war blinders because like he's doing okay, so obviously like that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. So like like, because he lacks that self-awareness of, like, what's going on with his friends. And, like, yes, he knows that his friends can take care of themselves, but, like, this is a situation that they weren't prepared to be in to begin with. Like, this is, like, they weren't, they didn't want to fight um, initially. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they were they were just coming here to kind of menace the king and then, like, leave. So, it's also important to kind of see our protagonist doing like what makes him special yeah um separated from his like little group of friends Mm -hmm. so i i think it i think it's kind of doing two things with with that i like that yeah there's there's definitely an element of of uh us as the audience wanting to see thor fighting and so i think we're getting that but two also seeing him um doing it in isolation and I think that's mm-hmm. that's the story element that I think we're getting, where Thor just fights and doesn't pay attention to anything else going on around him, whereas yeah. the others, they're aware of other people in need. Like, Hogan comes to Sif's aid when she needs right. it. Uh, and when, when Volstagg learns that, you know, when you get touched by a frost giant, it necrotizes your skin and turns it black. And he shouts out to people saying, hey, don't let them touch you. Like, they're, they're actually communicating as, as a team. Mm-hmm. 
And I, mm-hmm. I think that it's interesting to, to revisit this and realize just how little a part of that team Thor actually is at this point. I think it's, that's a really good way to say it. And then, of course, we get to see Loki fight. And this feels... It, I think we're going to talk a little about the staging of it in a second, because I know, Andy, you and I both had some, some <laughs> questions that Cassie may share as well. But I do feel like this is a perfect way to show how Loki would fight because it's not honorable. It's not sort of, it's the exact opposite of what Thor does. And, and when I say honorable, I kind of have that in quotes because I think trying to have honor in a fight is kind of dumb from my perspective. Like she, <laughs> what, what Loki's doing is like, I, I am killing the most people while having the least harm done yeah. to me, you know? And it's, mm-hmm. it just seems exactly, I feel like that tells you so much about who Loki is. It's clever of him. And, and honestly, yeah, I mean, when you're in a fight like this, I mean, it's like having a sniper, right? It's, it's somebody who's yeah. in hiding, who's taking out the enemy without them realizing where he is. And to that end, I think when, when you're in a battle, to your point, it's like, it's just another element of the battle. You're just always trying to find a way to get a leg up over the enemy. And he's, mm-hmm. he's doing that to the best of his ability. And you're right. Is there honor in it? I mean, it's a it's a battle, and there isn't a lot of, of of honor because you're all killing each other. You know, that's that's the end goal, and so it's. I kind of feel like General Patton would really. I, I, this may well be an apocryphal line, but General Patton is thought to have said, "You don't become a hero by dying for your country. You become a hero by making the other poor son of a bitch die for his country." You know, and that that to me is very much Loki. Like Loki wants to win. He doesn't want. He doesn't care if a glorious song is fought about him. He just wants to live through this. I think that's something both of them share, though. Like, Mm. I think, like, they both want to win, and Thor is very much, like, Thor is, like, very aggro about it. But Loki is, Loki's being smart. Like, Loki has all of the brain cells in that pair, and, like, Thor Thor has zero self-awareness. So he's Mm -hmm. like, I want to win. I'm going to win. Here's, like, let me show you that I'm going to win. And then Loki is just like, okay, how do I win? Right. You know? Yeah, I, I think they definitely both want to win. I just think, it, as I see it, Thor's already composing in his... He's already thinking about the great songs people are going to sing about this battle, you know? <laughs> Whereas Loki's like, if I kill people in the dark and no one knows, I still got did what I needed to do. Yeah, I'll know what I did. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. <laughs> so let's go talk about that scene. So I think, Andy, you and, and I and, and Kath maybe as well... I had a little question about the staging of that. Uh, it's, it, I don't know. I find it frustrating. We we see Loki in the middle of the field of battle. He turns and he sees this, I, I'm just going to call it a berserker frost giant. I mean, he just is like, I'm going to take you down by charging you and I'm going to throw myself off a cliff and take you with me. I mean, that's kind of the mentality of this mm-hmm. particular frost giant, which I I, I think is kind of an odd tact to take um let's let's go down together brother i mean that's basically what he's doing um uh, but okay one i still can't figure out i've i've kind of scrubbed through this trying to figure out where the heck is this cliff i i don't know where we all of a sudden have a cliff in this particular space but two when did loki actually hide like i i i have no context for this like we see him in the middle of battle he turns sees this uh berserker charging him and but suddenly he's actually in a safe space. I like that's a kind of a, a construction struggle that I have with the way that they d- decided to put this together. The best that I can think of it is that part of the illusion magic is that he sort of like creates a version of himself in front of himself and then hides himself moving out of the way. But you know, we're talking so much about how here, you know. The Norse gods aren't magical. They just have technology that humans don't understand and think is magic. Loki just has magic. 
And like, especially yes. in the Loki show, they, but also in, in some of the Thor movies, they straight up call it magic. And I think that, you know, whereas everything else does have rules that apply to it, this is just chaos magic. And uh, trying to figure out how chaos magic works doesn't make much sense, which, which <laughs> thematically works, but I don't think it works on screen in terms of like understanding what he can and can't do. I think part of it is, um, we know from this movie that he is able to make himself at least partially invisible or at least visible to only people that he wants to see him. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe he's actually looking down into the cliff and then he sets the illusion and runs to go hide before the, the, the berserker kind of like barrels at him mm -hmm. is what I think is going on i've never really understood this cut either but like i <laughs> yeah. go with it because you know movies yep, yep, right, <laughs> yeah. right you know if that's the thing that is hard for you to believe about this movie so far then like maybe we're having trouble it does right. throws <laughs> me out. honestly to me the thing that throws me out even more is when he then does this kind of like hip finger snap to like turn <laughs> off the music like i kind of like i mean he's such a raging bisexual as we actually know and find out in loki that like i kind of expect finger guns in that moment but like <laughs> instead he just does this like you know finger snap that it just I feel like it's, they, they felt they so had to telegraph what just happened that it felt a little like, we get it. You don't have to hold our hand quite that much. Yeah. I think that, um, the, the release of the magic is like purely for the audience. Yeah. Like, here's this trick. Yeah. Like, here's what this character can do. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I guess also they're just establishing it's stuff that he does with his hands, right? Hands are involved in the way he does this because we will see him using his hands later um, in similar mm -hmm. ways to conjure things and, and things mm -hmm. like that. So that's, I guess that's a good point. Yeah. I guess that's, that's what they're trying to establish there is he has mm -hmm. magic and he's using some sort of, you know, magical finger thing to do these things. Mm -hmm. So the fight then continues. Uh, Sif stabs a giant and then does this great, the giant kind of like, it's almost like splashing her like he just kind of runs his hand through water and a but what turns into a whole bunch of ice shards fly at her shield and she blocks them and all kind of looks kind of cool Volstagg also you know defeats one but as it's kind of falling it grabs it grabs his hand and and we see it literally like burn his i think it breaks his armor and it it necrotizes the the skin there what 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 do you kind of get out of those two fight moments well, one, I'm shocked that there's any standing water on this planet because uh, mm -hmm. it seems like it's all very cold and icy. So it's a little surprising that there's a puddle there. I mean, I, I still think it's really cool the way that that frost giant hits the water, splashing it up, and it turns to ice bullets, which, uh, which you know, fly at Sif. I think that's a really cool tool that they have at their disposal. Mm -hmm. As for the, the reveal, I mean... I guess it's you know, you have got to find ways to reveal these sorts of things and and you may as well have a frost giant actually touch somebody to to show the damage that they can do when they do touch your your skin. Right. And I mean it's 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 pretty shocking to see how quickly and how badly it can freeze and and damage you. So uh, to that end right. I mm -hmm. think it's I think it's cool. It also just shows how tough Volstagg is here cuz that's uh, mm -hmm. uh, Oh, and I will say it's better than the script because in the script he he instead of headbutting this guy he says you may be taller but I'm wider and he launches his mighty belly at the Jotun and sends him flying. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that I, was I, there. <laughs> I, I appreciate the appreciation for us larger bear type people, but we're not made of we're not made of rubber. Like that's not how this right. works, you know. 
That's funny. Um, but I can I can definitely see the comic book influence mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Huh. And I also I further appreciate Kenneth Branagh for whittling it out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For tempering it. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, and it's also kind of a nice reminder of, I think if you're reading comic books today, they're often written for like older teenager, young adult, adult audiences. You know, like we're addressing some pretty deep, dark topics. At the time the, the original Thors were being written, you know, in like the 60s and 70s, the average age of the reader is like 8 to 13, you know? Yeah. So, like, it, 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 like, we sometimes forget, you know, like, you're not going to see, like, belly humor in the killing joke or, you know, in, the in, in like, some of the, you know, Daredevil the w- runs. Watchmen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, like, that's, you know, comics were written for 10-year-olds instead yeah. of, like, you know, emo 16-year-olds, including myself. Um <laughs> And of course, obviously, and so, yeah, I, th- I love that you pointed out that Volstrag, like, shouts to warn everybody else that the first thing he does. But it seems that uh, there's a bit of foreshadowing because they're also telling us this is what normally happens when a frost giant grabs you specifically by the forearm. Because then uh, Loki stabs one and his arm turns blue when the giant grabs it. Yeah. Uh, I-, I think we- we've all seen the movie. We know what it means. But if you can... I don't know if you remember this, but the first time you saw this movie, did you immediately figure out that that's because he's a frost giant? Did you have a thought about it? What what was your kind of take on it? The first time I saw this, I knew exactly zero things about comic book Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I don't know that I saw the trailer. It was like a long time ago, so I don't remember. Um, so when this is happening, I'm kind of like, what does that mean? Like, I'm like right, right there with Loki. Where he's just like, uh, you know. Yeah, I think I thought at the time because I didn't know the mythology as far as like that that Loki was actually the son of of Frost Giant. So I, I didn't really have any handle on that sort of stuff. And so I think I thought that the Frost Giant did something to him. Like the first one just was you know freezing Volstagg, but this one was actually doing something to to Loki that was causing mm. him to to change. And so I don't think I quite understood until later what had actually happened. But again, I'm just conje- it's all conjecture because I, I can't quite remember my ten year old yeah. ten ten years ago brain <laughs> thinking. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I thought it was like his magic protecting him somehow, but I don't think I got beyond that. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. but of course now knowing what we know now, it is just such a great scene because it's obviously it's the first way I think Loki, you're right, doesn't quite know what it means yet. But of course we know that like I guess when a frost giant touches another frost giant, they're, they're just, they're, because it's, I think he's just constantly using this illusion magic at all times. And to the point where he even, well, I don't know if that would make sense, because does he, is this maybe like Freya's illusion magic or that Loki doesn't realize he's casting illusion magic the whole time? I mean, what? I think, I think it's Odin's. Um, because like later on when he picks up baby Loki and like touches him, like that's when he starts to change. So I think that's like Odin's influence. Mm. And if Loki has never been, no, Loki's never touched the casket and Loki's never been to Jotunheim before. So like he would have no reason to know this about himself until now. Right. Yeah. I I just don't think he's ever had any inkling. And so it's, uh, I, Mm -hmm. I think. This is where the this is the very first time that any of those wheels start spinning, which is interesting because mm-hmm. this is uh, like for everything that's happened with Loki so far. I mean, yes, he put all of this into motion, but they're all things that he's been able to foresee and has been able to kind of like, OK, so now that's happened. I've got to re- restructure to do this. But mm-hmm. this is the first thing that I think you could clearly say 
he 100% did not expect this particular thing to happen yeah. here. I think it's mm-hmm. very true. Yeah. I think it's very true. So, Andy, uh, were you able to pick out any more individual faces of the Frost Giants we see in this minute? Okay, so uh, not really, but the one who grabs Loki at the end. Now, now the MCU wiki says that this Frost Giant is Ray's, who's played by Luke Massey. Um, I've, I've looked at images of Luke Massey online, and I'm pretty sure this is not Ray's. And interestingly, I actually worked with Luke Massey immediately after he shot the movie Thor, um, I, on a different film that I was working on at the time. And, um, I, and he actually had been injured on set, um, <laughs> when he was making this because he was in a, he was in a harness that, like a yank harness where they, you know, have him in this thing. And he was like flung into a wall and he ended up like pulling his shoulder. And so we were making a Western and he was trying to, he was supposed to be riding the horses and all this stuff. And it was impossible to get him to do the things that he needed to do because one of his arms, he couldn't move very well. Uh, so it was very frustrating, but so I, I have a sense of Luke Massey and I, I could almost guarantee this is not him in this particular <laughs> set. I think this is Richard Citrone, who is the Frost Giant captain or credited as the Frost Giant captain. Um, that's my best guess. I, I haven't found any pictures specifically of Rich, Richard Citrone in the makeup. But when you look at a picture of Richard Citrone and you look at the Frost Giant, you can kind of see that I, I think that it is him. So okay. to that end, now I need to really figure out like where is Ray's in the film because I haven't seen anyone that looks like uh, like him yet. So I'll have to keep my eyes out and I'll let you know. All right. Interesting. Well, I love that you can find that kind of stuff because I just would never be able to pick those things out. Um, <laughs> Cat, Cass, for you, any other kind of last things you want to comment on or bring up about this minute? Oh, I just really appreciate the immediate setup and payoff of the don't let them touch you and then mm-hmm. like the reveal that Loki is different. Like, I, I like that it happens so fast, but I'm also surprised that it happens so fast, like within, I don't know, right. like 10 seconds of, it, of each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny. I feel like if, if it had happened within like a minute of each other or like, you know, mm-hmm. sometime later, but in the same battle, I would be like, mm-hmm. oh, God. Could you have been a little more subtle with your foreshadowing? But here, like, it goes so quickly that I don't even think about the fact that it's foreshadowing, you know, because it's just mm-hmm. bam, bam. And then later I look at it and I'm like, ah, okay, KB, I saw what you did there. Uh, it's kind of cheesy, but you made it work because it was yeah. so fast. Yeah, I don't even know if it counts as foreshadowing because it's literally like, here's a piece of information and then we're going to undercut that information. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not foreshadowing. It's it's giving us the information to put what happens to Loki's arm in context. That like yeah, yeah. it doesn't normally turn you blue, so that Loki is different somehow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or that dwarves are different. We don't know yet. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, what about from you, Andy? You know the last things. I think we've uh, touched everything in this one. So yeah, lots of uh, lots of good stuff, and we're just getting deeper into the fight. Sounds good. Thank you so much for this. Uh, Cass, as always, thank you so much for being our guest. You've been a great contributor. Yeah, thank you. If someone's going to check out your uh, Lord of the Rings minute by minute podcast, this is what I, I normally would ask them, like, what's one episode they should check out? Um, minute by minute, that might be a little harder. But do you have any kind yeah. of particular one that you might be like, check out this one first? I don't know. Um, the one that kind of that i always kind of come back to is we ended up talking for an hour about the nature of fate um in in fellowship i don't have the episode number okay. uh, off the top of my head look for one that's an hour long well there's there's multiple ones that are <laughs> <hour long. laughs> we talk way too much about 
I, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I, I, I have to apologize. And um, one more reason, members, to uh, become members. You can watch this on the live stream or watch the recording later. For those who are listening and not watching, you do not get to see the very Loki-like look of, oh, my God, what did they just ask me uh, that passed across Cass's face? So, uh, well, I, too, am a raging bisexual. So, like, I, I <laughs> identify with Loki. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 that's three of us there, so I can totally understand yeah. that. So, um, yeah, so great. Well, so definitely check out all those minutes. Uh, that'll be awesome. Andy, as always, thank you to all our fans. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Mm-hmm.